kei ngā manukura o te motu rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori current affairs for all New Zealanders. E tarua ki nei. Imagine living 24-7 with the sickening stench of sewerage. It's horrible. It gets into your house, even with the house shut up. It's bad, man. All bad. Since a fire destroyed silos at the Bromley Wastewater Treatment Centre, locals say they've been living with the hunger. It sort of can gag you, really, to where what you want to do is come back inside. We check out the issue causing a stink in Ōtautahi. Then it's the meme that sparked a roaring debate amongst Māori. Some of the stuff that surprised me the most was, you know, that it kind of split the room. You know, there were people that were having a good old laugh, and then there are others, I think, that kind of found it funny, but they also may have think that it was targeted at them. We delve into the issue over real revitalisation versus elitism. For the past nine months, residents in the eastern suburbs of Ōtautahi have been living with a stomach-turning stench. After fire ripped through Christchurch's wastewater treatment plant, an odour described as rotting sewage has been wafting in the air and into homes. Although work is underway to fix the issue, whānau there say living with the stench is making them sick and they're worried about the long-term impacts. Anei te pūrongo a John Boynton. The putrid stench of sewage is suffocating the eastern suburbs of Ōtautahi. You've been to the toilet and not flushed it and gone back a week later? It's bad, man. Caused by a fire which ripped through the city's wastewater treatment plant. We do indeed have those foul odours going well beyond the boundary of the plant. But eight months on, Fano here is sick and tired of living in this stench. I'm going to be gambling on my children's life due to living amongst this and breathing this in. South Brighton mum, Karina Tui, loves nothing more than taking a walk around the block with her whānau. This is the first time I feel like in my life of living in a place where we love where we live in. It's a beautiful place to live. But for the last eight months, her community has been under siege by the putrid smell of sewage. It smells like a mix between a chemical smell, rotten, like if you went into a 400-year-old long-drop toilet. A smell caused by a major fire at the Christchurch Wastewater Treatment Plant in November 2021. Poisonous black smoke in Christchurch skies. The result of a huge fire yesterday at the city's wastewater treatment plant in Bromley. On the day of the fire, Cardina remembers the pungent and acrid chemical smell. That chemical toxic smoke that thousands were exposed to and even put up with from the moment that it happened in the afternoon all night for the weeks coming after that where it was smouldering away. That will be seen in the years to come. 
The fires caused major damage to trickling filters and silos, which treat all of Christchurch's sewage. The equivalent of 10 Olympic-sized swimming pools of organic matter is trapped in the filters. Initially, the stench came from the burnt trickling filters themselves, and the burnt remains of the organic material inside. But with the trickling filters not fully operational, there is now an increase in solids and biological material entering oxidation ponds. This is resulting in more hydrogen sulfate being produced, which is known at low levels to cause headaches and nausea. Karina Tui says living with this stench is unbearable and is making her whānau sick. It's depressing. My wife, who has chronic respiratory issues and asthma, has just continuously been in a state of not feeling like she can breathe, feeling sick. Me, I've had headaches. I'm not prone to getting unwell. And the side effects of the stench are being felt right across the eastern suburbs in Ōtautahi. It's horrible. It gets into your house, even with the house shut up. It wakes you up in the night. You know, it's just wicked. It really is. You know, having to wash at the laundromat all the time because no point putting clothes out. They just end up smelling just as bad. Komatsua Medi and Charlie Crofts live right behind the treatment plant in a Komatsua flat at Nahoe Farmerai in Bromley. We've got a son and family living over in Port Levy, and they're always complaining, oh, Mum, I don't know how the hell you can live there because of the smell. Medi and Charlie remember the fears their old people had of having their marae located next to the treatment centre. I remember when they first built this marae here, the old people were saying, no, we don't want to be... Um... In my language, in the chick pond. <laughs> and that's what it's turned out to be with the smell. Mm. It sort of can gag you, really, to where what you want to do is come back inside. We've got double glazed windows, but it can come through as well, even if you close the curtains. Charlie is currently receiving dialysis treatment and is often at the hospital. They say apart from marae staff, no one from the council or local district health board have come to visit them. I'll be, I'll be blunt, I think it's damn disgusting that the council and or their rep hasn't been to see if anything is OK or, or not. Not, a, not an email, not a phone call? No. Nothing. Everyone puts up with it. <laughs> because we know the council's not going to... They're not going to do anything. We hear people's anger, but certainly face-to-face -face and interacting with people, um, they really understand the fact that this will take some time. Gary Watson has been managing the community response to the Bromley fire for the Christchurch City Council. I think we'd have to admit that we've been slow, uh, but I think in the last two, two and a half months, I think the, the communication and the feedback we've had is that that's a lot better. I've spent a lot of time driving around and going to elderly people and standing in backyards and reassuring people that, you know, uh, the process of the smell. So on a real personal level, uh, I've been trying to offer that as much as I can. What the council has offered is a $200 Prezi card to help with the inconvenience and cost of living with the stench. But it's not all they have planned. 
So we're looking at some um, wellbeing workshops for community about how to live, um, you know, after this around ventilation and all and all sorts of things. Um, in terms of the community, um, but is it fair that they should have to go to workshops and be told this is how you need to live with this with the stench? Well, the fact is that that we do have to live with it. It, it is one of those things that we cannot just scoop up and take away. Uh, so the best thing we can do is, 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 is help with that. I mean, there is no magic bullet to this. Last month, the Christchurch Chief Medical Officer, Dr Cheryl Brunton, reported back to the Christchurch City Council about the health impacts of the odour, saying, we know some people are reporting nausea, headaches, eye and throat irritation, skin irritation, worsening asthma and sleep disturbance to their family doctor. However, it's highly unlikely there'll be any longer-term health issues arising from the situation at the levels we're currently seeing. Highly unlikely means we don't know. From what we've got and the information that we can gather, we've come to the conclusion that maybe most of you will be okay. It's all a wordplay, isn't it? Highly unlikely does not mean safe. I think the fire is just a really unfortunate accident uh, and is taking a while for us to, um, to recover. We're talking about the second largest wastewater treatment plant in the country here. Christchurch City Council has turned on eight new aerators as part of a mid-term recovery plan which should help reduce odour in the coming months. These don't smell, these are beautiful. No smell here. Helen Beaumont, the head of Three Waters for Christchurch City Council, is leading the clean-up effort. We've spent the last six months putting in place this interim treatment process to replace what was happening in the trickling filters. Unfortunately, um, until we've done 100% of that work, connected up all of the pipes, started all of the pumps and established that new process, we won't see a change in the effluent quality or in the ponds or in the odour. The council is on track to address the high level of odours coming off the oxidation ponds by early September. But much of the community here is quickly losing patience, disappointed by the response they've seen so far. Any which way you look at it, this community is having a problem with that smell. Something's got to be done. I think we all have put up with it too long. After the break, we discuss the real meme that broke the internet. Statistics New Zealand's latest figures say more than one in six Māori adults can speak te reo Māori and just under half of Māori have some ability with te reo. Those who can speak it well or fairly well are more likely to be under 24, our kura generation or older than 55. For some of those who fall in the middle and who are not as comfortable with te reo, it can be a source of deep mamai. So when comedian Cajun Brooking posted this meme on Facebook, it provoked a range of emotions from a smile to pain. I talked to him about what was behind his post. Tell me why, why that meme, what was behind it for you? So what happened is I was out one day and um, somebody waved me over, asked me for help. 
And uh, so I went over there and uh, went to help. And the lady actually, she spoke to me in te reo. And uh, I was quite surprised. It was actually quite beautiful, you know, when she spoke to me in te reo. I thought, man, this is cool. But I had to let her know that um, I didn't speak te reo. And when I did that, she actually looked quite disappointed in me. And um, for me, it was it was a little bit startling because I think for a lot of us that can't speak the real, um, it's actually quite shameful in ways, you know. There's, there's a shame or a stigma attached to it too. I made the meme and put it up, not thinking that, you know, I, I thought that it'd get a few hits, people, people would like it, but I didn't think it would blow up like it did. Some of the stuff that surprised me the most was, um, you know, that it kind of split the room. You know, there were people that were having a good old laugh and then there are others, I think, that kind of found it funny, but they also may have think that it was targeted at them and uh, may have taken it a little bit personally. So the stuff that I have seen, it, it, it's been a split right down the middle. And I think it was a good talking point for Māori. Like, when that came up, I think it sparked, like, a lot of conversation and a lot of debate, which is really interesting. And as a comedian, that's kind of, like, what you want to do. For those that can speak the real... Um, be kind to those that, uh, that can't, you know, to be nicely trying. And um, I think in today's busy lifestyles, you know, with, with, with the mahi and everybody being so busy, it's actually hard to find the time too. So those that have grown up uh, around the language, um, really fortunate. Yeah, very fortunate. Well, joining me now to discuss the debate over this meme, uh, Dr. Kiri Waititi Tamihiri, a former clinical psychologist and Kura Kaupapa graduate, Bernie O'Donnell, co-chair of Te Mātāwai, which is charged with language, Māori language revitalisation, and broadcaster and Te Panikiri Tanga Ōtereo graduate, Mātairangi Smith. Tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou, mihi. Uh, let's go to you first, Kiri. Um, what was your reaction to this meme? Well, um... I thought it was a great meme, um, very provocative. And as, as we all know, as he said, he's a comedian. So um, uh, what we do know of a lot of our comedian whānau, that a lot of their stories come from um, pain and things like that. So I thought it was, was awesome. Um, I think it definitely triggered people on all sides of the fence. It was really validating for some, and it offended others. And I think uh, a lot of that comes down to what he talked about, um, the shame that lies with um, an inability to talk our mother tongue. And I think, uh, importantly, it's... Me tiro ki te kurahuna, eh? We need to look beyond the meme and the, the words that were in there what are the messages that are coming from there? What are the messages we need to take heed of? Are we providing a safe space for our own people to reconnect with their real, um, with te Māori, and are we cultivating an environment that they will thrive in? So those are the things that I think we need to look at beyond the picture and the graphic. Kia ora. Uh, pehe koe, Bernie, like you and I are a generation mm. that are in the middle but um, but have gone and learned te reo. We were not lucky enough to be uh, native speakers of te reo. Can you relate to this meme? Yes, I can. So when I saw it too, I went, yeah, I get it. And and um, felt a tumour. I, I thought it was a bit blunt, but also understood when some of the, the other contributions from people that were pushing back. Uh, I, I think it's... Um, that whole meme is, is a sign of progress in terms of where the language is going in terms of revitalisation. You know, five years ago, we were having a conversation about how do we engage non-Māori in our language, if it was going to grow, how we were going to do that. Now, we're still trying to sort that out, but we, we, we need to have 
at quite times difficult discussions amongst ourselves about about some of our language journeys. If we don't have that discussion and say, well, no, there is a language divide, and this is why, then people just think that our language was always here, mm. and there wasn't a struggle or a journey that took place, not just in our generation, but in the generation of our of our parents and our grandparents. Mm. And that's a legacy that we have to sort of acknowledge. As if we, and I know it's cliche, but if we if we want to move forward, we've got to make sure that we remember what was done um, before us to be able to do that. Yeah. So I thought it was a good sign of progress, looking forward to the difficult conversations that we have to have. Yeah, you were slightly younger than this generation over here. And you've, you've spent your whole career, you know, actually speaking to both uh, real speakers and non-real speakers and to a Pākehā audience mm. as well, and actually trying to revitalise the language through that. When you saw this meme, did you have sympathy for him or did you think, actually, you know, um, so when I first saw it, I may have rolled my eyes at first, but at the same time, I got thinking about um, this thing we call language trauma. Mm. And I'm glad that Kitty has joined us today because she can kind of, um, you know, elaborate more on what I'm talking about. But a lot of our people do have language trauma. Mm. Um, they are whakamā. This tanifa that we call whakamā is still ever much prevalent, even though I'm ever much the optimist when it comes to te reo Māori. And as you said, I've been broadcasting in both languages for some 26 years now. And I've seen a growth spurt in both Māori mm. and non-Māori mm. coming into our reo um, and being a part of our reo world. And we see it everywhere, on the rugby field now, mm. um, you know, on our television sets, um, online. Uh, so I, as I say, I'm the optimist, but I know that there are so many people um, like Cajun and uh, that, that have language trauma. Yeah, well, let's come to you now, Kitty, because Cajun did talk about that, you know, the meme has come from an interaction with a queer who spoke Māori to him and he felt the sense of whakama. What is it? What's language trauma? Yeah, I think... Um like the, the real trauma that we speak of is is really born of a um, deep-seated feelings of shame and humiliation. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very real and is shared by so, so many of our people. And I think just this meme on its own, um, how polarising it was, I think we really need to acknowledge um, the experiences that everybody mm. has. We have whānau, um, like you, Mihi, like you, Bernie, who have um, had your own journey through the reo and who have really pushed past a lot of the barriers of that shame and humiliation. And there has been a struggle in being able to do that mm. as well. And there's also, there is also a struggle for our whānau who just, for, for whatever reason, can't find it in themselves um, to learn the reo. You know, when you cannot speak the language of your own ancestors, you naturally feel a sense of loss and shame. That, coupled with the residual narrative that's still hanging around about te reo Māori not being worthy mm -hmm. um, and that it won't get you anywhere. So this brings out all sorts of feelings around um, worthiness, around con connectedness and belonging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, te reo, anybody's native language, is connected with identity. So um, I feel so much aroha for our whānau who haven't been able to connect that way, they must feel at times so very um, alone in their world. And so for those of us who are in positions to do so, we, we need to go turbo on the aroha and the compassion for each other, wherever we are on our real journey, but especially for those who don't have their real, because their natural born right to be raised in their mother tongue was taken away from mm. them. So there, there's been a lot of kōrero around, around um, 
choice. It's your choice to, to choose to learn or not. Well, um, in actual fact, that choice was taken away from us through colonisation, and we're still reeling from the impacts of that. But the other thing, too, is I th think we also need to be very grateful for and acknowledge um, those like you both who have really pushed past all those barriers to reclaim their deal because we can learn a lot um, from those experiences. But I think understanding is key. Um, the meme, the uh, reactions to the meme, I think initially was all about people preserving their own ego. Um, nobody <laughs> wants to be the person that has offended somebody else. Um, and But emihiana but kiaia, um, and his experience, because it's it's very, very real. And the generations above us, like I really thank um, my parents for giving me the gift of the opportunity to go to Kura Kaupapa Māori because they never had that. And so in their own world, they're still um, very basic in their deal, but we'll always give it a go. But I always know that there's still um, an underlying um, shame there for them, and we should not be um, making them feel worse. Kia ora. It is, it's a legacy um, of those who have provided the deal. But what you were talking earlier about um, not feeling like you live up to the expectation of those who, you know, who, who taught you, and do you still have that now? Well, that's the trauma we have to face every day. One is that we'll never, ever be good enough in the language space. And, and, and most of those, so the, the, the language divide talks about first language speakers and the rest of us that are trying to be first language speakers atonawa. And and even though first language speakers don't aren't quite open about their dis, this, you know, they there's just an implication that, that you and I will never be good enough, even though that doesn't come from them. So and and for many years we didn't know how to have the conversation. And if we liken that to say something like unconscious bias, which was this thing that sort of lingered and sort of oppressed us and then someone called it racism. Mm. Soon as someone put a name on it, we were able to push back and have a proper conversation. Mm. And it's the same with language trauma. Soon as we start to identify and own language trauma and in terms of what it means in its full sense, we didn't grow up with the language. That's traumatic enough. Trying to reclaim that, which has been lost to our generations, multiple generations before us, is a huge journey. So that's our trauma and that's our story. If we look at the kind of trauma that's happening now, if we look at our mokopuna, yeah. so my, our generation, my generation said, well, I don't have the language, but I'm going to make sure my mokopuna do. So we send them to Kuangaru and, and to Kura. Like, and, then yeah. they, and then they become the leaders of our language strategy within the whanau. What we forget, they're only four years old. Yeah. So we put that 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 re responsibility of leadership on them, and they have to they have to deal with that all their lives. And, and one of the one of the bad Can things I bring, is. Um, sure, I in here for that because I feel mm. like you are that generation that we actually put everything on you mm. and said, "Yep, now we've got this reanga mm. of real speakers." How important is it that we do have panikiritanga itiro? So we lift the bar, like Mason Jury used to say, "Don't be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff in Hauora, obviously, but you know, push it up." So the Institute of Excellence in Māori Language was set up um, some years ago by Tati Motikari to mm. by Tāpoutemara and the late great Wharehuia Melroy. Now those three names in itself scare the bajingas out of me. And so when I got a letter saying please come and 
bring your real skills to, to, to the Yodas of te reo. Here's this little young Jedi at the time um, trying to better my reo. But the whole focus around, and there is a perception around te panikiretanga mm. o te reo that it is elitist. Well, actually, it's about par excellence. Mm. And why shouldn't we go for excellence in the Māori language? And so that was Nōku Te Whiwhi. I was fortunate enough to be there at the, at the, at the ankles of those karaua uh, to grab those skills, grab that knowledge, and take it back to my iwi and my tribes back in Tūranga. So, yeah. Because it's that kind of learning yeah. eh, that allows us to learn as second language speakers. So, so, so the only thing I'd say about how we perpetuate trauma without knowing it is, is that we put this, this, this responsibility on our mokopuna. And, and one of the things that come out of it is that, you know, mai te iwa karaka ki te toru karaka mai te mani ki te paraere, mm. kōrero Māori rātou i roto i ngā kura. Ko te te kura, huri ki atu ki te reo pānga. Mm. And that drives us all sort of, you know, we go, well, horo me pē tō reo Māori, oh, koro, ko te ki te kura. And I know kōrero i te reo pānga. For me, that's a symptom of how to sort of um, take that pressure off them so that they can... Hmm. Interact in a way, in, 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 in a way that they, they choose to. The other thing is the real journey is not an easy one. Let's not sugarcoat it. Hmm. Um, it's like any other language. You're going to have some obstacles, some speed bumps along the way. But as long as you've got, if, whatever level you are at, um, as long as you have some like-minded people around you, um, you are going to fail. Hmm. But you know the three P's: perspiration. Um, well, that's probably perseverance, one of the, perseverance, and patience. <laughs> there you go. In that order. We haven't got much time left, but I want to go to you just quickly. Kitty, are you still there? Um, to yep. ask you, um, you know, what about the implication of Pākehā learning alongside Māori and the, the stress and the pain of Māori who still can't speak Māori, but their Pākehā whanaunga can? Yeah, well, I just wanted to. Te reo Pākehā. I think we have to be really cautious about applying Pākehā terms and labels to Māori mm. experiences. Mm. So, you know, when we hear this term elitist, like as far as I'm concerned, there are only two elite Māori in this country, and that's Kingi Tu Heitia and Ariki Tumutehuhu. So I think we have to be very careful about um, all this, these, this new language and all this labelling happen, mm. happening. We're hearing this new white passing corridor being bandied about, and it only really serves to divide us, and it becomes a coloniser in itself. So I think we have to be very careful about the language of oppression that we're using to re revitalise our real, um, because all we're going to do is put barriers up. Yeah. But in terms of... Um, I actually think my personal opinion is that we... Um, I imagine it probably makes our real kore whanau feel worse mm. and more diminished when they see um, Pākehā learning their reo at a faster rate. But I think that's incumbent on us, eh? Mm. I think there's, personally, I think there's probably too much Māori energy going into Pākehā full stop. And this isn't a slight on them. For me, it just comes down to numbers and ratios. Kia ora, we need a whole documentary for this or a series. Kiri, Matai, Bunny, Tina Koto Kato, a Mihiana Tingako Kiakoto, Kofaiwaki, Kitine Kopapa, Hohono, Fakahiri Hirohoki, Tinakuita to Hene, Namihi, Akumihini, Okiraki, Kamotoni Maira, Kahuya no Tato, Akwane. Thanks for joining us, Ehuama Kohuki Tene Manu Koriro Kitana Rongufua. Nohor Maira.
take. Nā te puna whakatongarewa te hui i tautoko.